Good morning, church. So good to see all of you here this morning. Let's read the scripture together. Philippians 1.27. Hear what holy scripture says. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know how weak I feel, but you say that your power is perfected in our weakness. Father, we thank you for your word that is before us. Lord, we pray now as we look at this text together, would your spirit take this passage and plant it deep in our hearts? Would you convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment? Would you show us Christ? And would you increase our faith and our love for him. Would you do this now? In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, a few of us were helping a friend move out of his place. As most of us know, moving from one place to another is quite the ordeal. Bags have to be packed, furniture disassembled, manpower gathered, and transportation has to be worked out. And on the day of the move, things don't always work out smoothly. 
In this case, there were several challenges. There was a challenge of fitting all the furniture in the small 10-foot moving van. There was a challenge of fighting through physical fatigue as the night wore on. And then there was the sudden challenge of having to find the missing keys to the unit we were moving to. But by God's grace, after seven long hours, the move was completed. We were successful because we worked as a team. We were united with the same goal in mind. Now, there's nothing glamorous about helping a friend move. Time, energy, and resources need to be spent. I'm sure that there were many other things we all would have rather been doing. Helping a friend move requires humility, putting aside our own interests and thinking about the needs of others. Unity requires humility. Last week, we saw that Paul is calling the Philippians to unity for the sake of the gospel. In our passage today, Paul continues his call to be united for the gospel and then emphasizes that humility is the path to unity. Unity requires humility. And what does this humility look like? From our text, we learn that humility looks like putting selfishness to death, thinking about the needs of others, and having the mind of Christ. For us to be united for the gospel, we must humble ourselves by putting selfishness to death, thinking about the needs of others, and having the mind of Christ. Look at our text again today. Our text today begins with the word so, or therefore. Verses 1 and 2 connect to Paul's flow of thought, which began in chapter 1, verse 27. There we read again, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Paul calls the Philippians to stand united in the face of external opposition. In chapter 2, Paul is now calling the Philippians to stand united in the face of internal division. Disunity is a threat to the gospel's progress and advancement in any church, and this was no different in Philippi. No matter how mature or how long a church has been in existence, disunity within the church negatively impacts both gospel progress and advance. In this letter, Paul tells the Philippians to stop complaining and arguing with each other. The disunity between two women was so great that Paul had to call them out by name and ask a third party to mediate. He reminds them that God is a God of peace. The Philippians clearly needed an imperative to stand united for the gospel in the face of internal division. We find this imperative in verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What does Paul mean when he calls the Philippians to be of the same mind? It means to take a view of something, to be concerned for something, to set the mind on something. This verb is not about having the exact same thoughts or feelings about everything. 
It is about the attitude of mind and the settled disposition of the entire person. Being of the same mind means that we are seeking the same goal with a like mind. We are united for the same purpose. We are united for the gospel. Now, I know some of us like to play beach volleyball, really like to beach volleyball. And some of us like to play softball. Some like to watch Pride and Prejudice. And others like to watch anime. Some like to read books by dead Puritans. And some like to play board games. Some of us really like to shop at Costco. <laughs> and some bake pies that win town fairs. Some love to cook. And some just cook the same two meals over and over again to survive. <laughs> We won't say who. As a church, it is not our interests or preferences in this life that unites us. It is the gospel that unites us. It is that we are all disciples and followers of Christ. Being of the same mind as a church means that we are united for the gospel. We want the gospel to advance in our midst. This is why we gather to share the gospel in our neighborhoods, bring family and friends to church, while we send out and support missionaries, while we have classes and camps for children. We also want the gospel to progress in our midst. This is why we have discipleship classes and small groups and prayer meetings. All that we do is because of the unity we have in the gospel. Now, verse 2 continues. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It is not just that we have the same mind in the gospel, but we also have the same love in the gospel. Jesus says to his disciples, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. When I first came to this church, I loved everything about it. Christ-exalting music, faithful expository preaching, zealous pastoral prayers, gifted and caring elders, helpful discipleship classes, genuine hospitality, and intentional member small groups. There was even a membership covenant, and there still is. Church, we can have great music, great preaching, great elders, great classes, and great small groups. But if we have not love for one another, we have nothing. May we be a church united for the gospel in mind and in love. Now look with me at verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, these four phrases point to realities and certainties, not possibilities or probabilities. Paul is not questioning whether or not the Philippians have experienced these things. He knows they have. He's calling them to be united for the gospel in light of the fact that they have. Chapter 1 ends with Paul writing, about not only his own suffering for the gospel, but also their suffering for the gospel. Paul is in prison, reflecting on the prospects of his death. The source of Paul's encouragement and comfort while in chains is in his relationship with Christ. And Paul knows that as the Philippians also suffer for Christ, they also experience the encouragement and comfort that comes from Christ. We may not be experiencing the same degree of suffering and opposition as Paul and the Philippians, but I am confident that these four phrases also point to realities and certainties of our church. 
we have suffered a trying time of leadership and membership changes in the past couple years. We have learned to be patient in tribulation and constant in prayer. And with the announcement last week that Daryl Dash will be our new senior pastor, we are encouraged and comforted. We, are tangi we have tangibly tasted and seen that the Lord is good to us. So how should we respond? By being of the same mind and having the same love. By an even greater and deeper commitment to God and to one another. By being even more united for the gospel in mind and in love. Now, after calling the Philippians to be united for the gospel in verses 1 and 2, Paul emphasizes humility as the path to this unity in verses 3 to, 7, 3 to 11. Paul gives three exhortations on humility. We must humble ourselves by putting selfishness to death, thinking about the needs of others, and having the mind of Christ. Paul exhorts the Philippians to humble themselves by putting selfishness to death. In verse 3, we read, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Nothing. It's not put some of your selfishness to death or most of your selfishness to death. It's put all of your selfishness to death. We must put selfishness to death in our hearts if we are to be united for the gospel. Now, Paul has already informed the Philippians that there were some believers that were preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition. Though they preached Christ, their ministry was self-seeking. They sought to puff up their own reputation and put down Paul while he was in prison. Now Paul points to those who are dividing the church in Philippi and exhorts them to purge themselves of selfish ambition. This is the attitude of those who seek their own interests, who seek their own advantage. James chapter 3 tells us that jealousy and selfish ambition is not wisdom from God, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He goes on to say that it causes disorder and every evil practice. Selfish ambition is completely opposed to God. Paul also uses the word conceit. The Greek word translated conceit is the combination of the two words, empty and glory. Empty glory. That's glory that fades away and is vain. The conceited person provokes, envies, and puts down others to gain the empty glory of position, prestige, power, and possessions. Conceit seeks to take the glory that belongs only to God. We see this in the heart of the Pharisees and the disciples in the gospel accounts. Matthew tells us that the Pharisees did all their deeds to be seen by others, and they loved the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Luke writes the Pharisees were lovers of money, justifying themselves before men, and treated others with contempt. John tells us that people loved human praise more than the praise from God. And Mark tells us the disciples were arguing with each other about who was the greatest. They were all pursuing empty glory. They all had selfish ambition and conceit in their hearts. If we have selfish ambition and conceit in our hearts, we will not be able to stand for the gospel. Now, if we reflect on our own culture, we see the overwhelming focus on the self. In grade school, we are told to do projects that are titled, All About Me. Actually. 
in our careers, we are encouraged to climb the corporate ladder for our own benefit. Much of social media is about ourselves, where we've been, what we've been doing, and what we like. Consumerism is about what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. Even thinking about and planning for retirement can become a self-absorbed endeavor. And some of the greatest social and cultural issues of our day, abortion, euthanasia, gender identity, sexual orientation, is all a fight for autonomy and self-definition. It is in direct opposition to God. Selfishness says my life, my money, my comfort, and my time. Selfishness says it's my position, prestige, power, and possessions that matter. Selfishness says I can't be bothered. You're not worth my time. What's in it for me? The selfish person is so occupied with themselves, there is no room left to be thinking about the needs of others. Church, before we knew Christ, we were all filled with selfish ambition and conceit. We were all seeking self and pursuing empty glory. We lived for ourselves, but Christ died for us that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him. We must humble ourselves and say no to self and yes to Christ. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now that we have come to know Christ, in humility, we are to put all our selfishness to death. Here's a few questions for us to reflect upon to help examine our own hearts. Is your heart seeking human praise and recognition after serving the church in some capacity? Do you celebrate how God uses other members in the church? Or are you envious of how God has gifted them? Do you actively make decisions that are for the good of the church? Or do you prioritize yourself with your own time and resources? Do you come to church expecting to be served? Or do you come ready to serve others? Church, let's repent of any selfish ambition and conceit in our hearts. Let's humble ourselves, put selfishness to death, and be united for the gospel. The second exhortation on humility that Paul gives to the Philippians is to think about the needs of others. For us to be united for the gospel, we must humble ourselves and think about the needs of others. Look again at verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The verb count is an active verb. It means to think deeply, to consider thoroughly, to regard attentively to the well-being of others. The mind of a humble person turns outward to regard the needs of others. To count others more significant than yourselves is a call to actively think about the needs of others. We see Paul exemplify such humility. He actively thinks about the needs of the Philippians. He remembers them in prayer. He yearns for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. He writes to them to encourage them. He desires to be physically present with them for their joy and progress in the faith. In humility, the Philippians were always on Paul's mind. Hmm. Praying for others is one way we can cultivate humility that leads to unity. Praying for others is inherently selfless. 
To genuinely pray for someone, you need to know their needs, think about their needs, and then bring their needs before God. Friends, coming out to our Wednesday night prayer meetings this summer is one way you can grow in actively thinking about the needs of others. We also see that the Philippians actively thought of the needs of Paul. In chapter 4, verses 15 to 16, we read, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And further down in verse 18, Paul writes, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The Philippian church financially supported Paul immediately after he left Philippi. They were the only church that supported him on his first trip to Corinth. And now Paul has received their support through Epaphroditus while imprisoned for the gospel. The constancy and frequency of support over the years shows just how deeply the Philippians cared for Paul and actively thought of his needs. In the eight years I've been at this church, I've witnessed many of you actively thinking about the needs of others. Homes have been graciously opened for a small group and fellowship. Money has been generously given to those in financial need. Prayers have been faithfully offered for one another. Meals have been delivered to serve tired parents. Missionaries have been practically cared for on their sabbaticals. Church, in humility, you actively thought of other members and ministered to their needs. May we do so more and more. Now, there's one place where we see clear disunity between two members of the Philippian church. In chapter 4, verse 2, we read that Paul directly addresses Yodia and Syntyche, two women who are in conflict with each other. Paul pleads with them to agree in the Lord, meaning to be of the same mind in the Lord, to be united for the gospel. They have labored side by side with Paul for the gospel. Paul sees them as faithful gospel partners, and he longs for them to put aside any disagreement, dislike, or personal differences so that they can be united for the gospel. A pastor once told me that the average time a Christian stays in one local church is around three to five years. In a city like Toronto, where there are so many churches to choose from, it's not hard to find another church that aligns with your theological convictions. Now granted, people change churches for understandable reasons, whether that is to be attending the same church with their new spouse or having to move because of their new job. But I would venture to guess that people also change churches because of unresolved conflicts with other church members. In the midst of their conflict, Paul didn't tell Yodia and Syntyche to find another church in the city. Paul pleaded with them to be united for the gospel. In our membership covenant, which you know I love, there is a beautiful sentence that says this. I further engage to watch over you, my brothers and sisters, in brotherly love, to remember you in prayer, to aid you in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the commandments of our Savior to secure it without delay. 
Counting others more significant than yourselves involves praying for one another and aiding one another in sickness and distress. And it also involves cultivating Christian sympathy and feeling, courtesy and speech, slow to take offense, always ready for reconciliation. It means when a fellow church member has idiosyncrasies or personalities that rub us the wrong way, we strive for greater affection for them in Christ. We humble ourselves and actively think of them as more important than ourselves. It means that when another church member has a different opinion or viewpoint on a certain issue, we don't fight to win an argument, but strive to be gracious with our words. We humble ourselves and actively think of them as more important than ourselves. Church, in humility, we can put aside disagreements, dislikes, and personal preferences so that we can be united for the gospel. Now, the final exhortation on humility is to have the mind of Christ. For us to be united for the gospel, we must humble ourselves by putting selfishness to death, thinking about the needs of others, and having the mind of Christ. The final exhortation is found in verse 5. Look there with me. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you have a Prince Bible with you, there should be a footnote at the bottom of the page that shows that this verse can also be translated, have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Both translations have biblical grounds. Paul is calling the Philippians to have the mind of Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. This means that Christ has the attitude of mind we should imitate. In verses 6 to 8, in speaking of Christ, we read, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ Jesus did nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Though being fully God, he did not count his position, prestige, or power a thing to be grasped. Christ did not view his divinity as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead of pursuing empty glory, he emptied himself. As in the words of John Calvin, Christ kept his divinity concealed for a time, that under the weakness of the flesh, it might not be seen. By taking the form of a servant, by becoming human, Christ deprived himself of his divine position, his divine power, and his divine rights. We get a humbling picture of Christ's incarnation in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah tells us that Christ has no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. When Christ walked this earth, there was no outward divine majesty or beauty that drew people to him. It was all concealed under the weakness of the flesh. Christ did not come in the form of an emperor to be served by others, but in the form of a slave to serve others. 
And this perfect example of humility does not stop there. Christ emptied himself by becoming man, and then he humbled himself to the point of death. Christ knew that his incarnation was not enough to save us from our sins. He knew he had to go to the cross. He counted our lives more important than his own. He thought of our needs unto death. What humility. Paul is calling the Philippians to have the humble mind of Christ. Paul says, look, look at how Christ emptied himself for you. Look at how Christ humbled himself for you. Look at how Christ died for you. Now have the same humility towards each other. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Count others more significant than yourselves. Think about the needs of others. Have the humble mind of Christ. Now you've heard it said, don't tell me what to do. Show me what to do. But in the Christian life, we need not only to be shown the perfect example of humility, we need to be empowered to live a life of humility. Look again with me at verse 5. We can see that the other translation reads, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Church, in Christ Jesus, this attitude of mind is yours, and not just yours, ours. Paul writes the Philippians, fully expecting them to be able to put selfishness to death, think about the needs of others. He expects them all to be able to have the mind of Christ. In Christ, we don't just have the perfect example of humility. We have the power to live a life of humility. Now, this is made possible by what God has done in verses 9 to 11. Look there with me. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These verses tell us that God exalted Christ after his death and gave him the name that is above every name. At the incarnation, the name Jesus was given to Christ. And at the exaltation, the divine name Yahweh, Lord, was given to Christ. Notice how verse 9 is in past tense. Christ has already been exalted. Christ has already been given the name Lord. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Church, Jesus Christ is our Lord, and he empowers us to have his humble mind. Friend, if you have not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you can do so today. The gospel is that Jesus Christ, though being fully God, became a man and died on the cross to make a way for you to be made right with God. Friend, all your selfish ambition and conceit, all your pride, all your sin keeps you from God. Will you humble yourself before God today? Will you confess your sins, turn from them, and put your faith in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior? You can do so today. Now, as we close our time together, there's one last thing to see in our text. Notice how Paul switches from second person in verses 1 to 5 to third person in verses 6 to 11. 
Paul moves from ethical exhortation to Christological proclamation. He moves from prose to poetry. Verses 6 to 11 is actually a hymn that was sung in the early church. The point is this. The more we worship and exalt Christ as Lord, the more we humble ourselves and submit to his lordship, the more we experience his power to put selfishness to death, think about the needs of others, and have the mind of Christ. The more we worship and exalt Christ as Lord, the more we are able to live lives of humility that lead us to being united for the gospel. May God make it so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are humbled as we see our Lord Jesus Christ humbling himself, dying on the cross for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your great love for us that you would send your son to be a sacrifice for all our sins. Father, we also give you praise for exalting him highly, He is highly exalted at your right hand. And Father, we praise you that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in him, we have the power to live a life of humility that leads to unity. So Father, help our church to be united for the gospel. Help our church humble ourselves before your throne, that we would grow in thinking of one another more important than ourselves. Would you build a deeper unity and love in our midst, and would our whole lives and our church bring glory to you? In Jesus' name, amen.